Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell won an Oscar on their first time out with their 2021 original song, No Time to Die, from the Bond movie of the same name. The duo are nominated in the category again with What Was I Made For? from Barbie, the tune having already won three Grammys, including Song of the Year. They're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. I understand What Was I Made For meant a lot to both of you. And I wanted you to expound on why. <laughs> expound? <laughs> yes. Uh, um, you have such a, like, beautiful crime investigation delivery of, like, two children walking alone in the woods. Like, it's very, uh... Number yeah. 35. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, fun. it's making this extra fun. <laughs> why did it mean a lot? Well... It was a, it was a really good movie that I was very inspired by, and it was um, I don't know I was it was a dark period of time in in life and very uh not inspiring period of time and a lot of like not feeling excited for the future and not feeling hopeful for the future and not looking forward to the future and um. I don't know. I think that the 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 movie allowed us to be honest in a way that I don't think we would have been able to achieve had it not been for, you know, had it not been like an assignment, you know. Um and I don't know. I just it was it was such a deeply important thing for for my life and also Phineas and Mai's creative life. I think like we we really needed something to to sh- to shoot us into the the back into the world of of being creative and feeling like we could do it still you know Greta Gerwig showed you like 35 minutes something like that i'm just mm-hmm. curious after you saw it did she give you an option did she say hey what kind of song do you want to do or was it always i need the one that speaks to Barbie's heart. She she gave us. Uh, she actually said the the word carte blanche. She was like, "You guys can do whatever you want." Um, I think it was sort of a masterclass in getting what you want with generosity. Um, I think that she made us feel like any idea we had was of value to her. Any desire we wanted to to you know chase was the right way to go and then she kind of slid under the hotel door like uh if you feel like making barbie's heart song that's we we're missing it you know which is such a really smart whether you know whether it was on purpose or it was just she's such a pure person that's such a smart way of communicating with a person where you you say you say no rules 
here's what I'm looking for, you know, and um, that's a great way to sort of approach all collaboration. I, I've tried to internalize that and, and do that with other people I work with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really do believe that, you know, she was excited to hear whatever we came up with. I don't think if we'd written a crazy, you know, uh, to like bury a friend type song that it would have ended up in that scene. But um, she's a she's an auteur. She would have put it somewhere. You know, maybe we would have. Uh, I don't know. There's so many there's so many cool musical moments in that movie. The speed drive Charlie XCX song that's during the car chase. Like there's so many cool things that I think we um, we really lucked out that she uh, heard our song and put it in that scene. So when you're watching the film, was there a specific scene, though, that jumped that jumped at you, you know, that triggered your writing. Yeah, that scene, the scene that the song is in is the is the one that we were, we were shown that scene. Yeah, it was like, um, it was just, there was no montage at the time. It was just, um, it was like, it's like Ruth and Barbie in that like white abyss. And, um, you know, she's, she's like, take my hands and close your eyes and feel. And then she just stood there and closes her eyes and tears roll down her cheeks and it's like beautiful. And even at the time it was only that there was nothing else. And that alone was beautiful. And that was replaying for us when we were writing the song. And then that's the scene that we, um, that we wrote that, that, that was used in the, in the movie. And then Greta created that montage kind of around the song, which was really cool. So in your concert, you, you know, there's, there's a sequence where you use your own home movies uh-huh. And it's a really touching sequence. She kind of, Greta kind of did the same thing here. Sure. Did you think that was a nod to you? I mean, it, it just, it was a great thing. It kind of brings everything back around. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I have no idea if she even knew that I did that in my show. Um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't create doing that, but um, I don't know. That's one of my favorite parts of my show. It's it's during a song called Getting Older and it's all home footage of me and Phineas and our parents and our friends and what we did as kids. And there's been a couple shows. I think I played MSG one time and was looking up at the screens and started to cry a little <laughs> because it's kind of intense, you know? It's it's intense in beautiful ways and intense in kind of sad ways of like, you know, growing up is hard and also losing anonymity is hard and seeing your, your precious younger self who was just a person in the world and unknown and, and protected and safe. Um, and then looking at that from the position I'm in now is like kind of hard to, to see, but also beautiful in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard for everyone and it's beautiful for everyone looking back, you know, see where you were, where you come from and where you are now. And, thinking about all the things you've been through and, you know, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. So um, that's one of my favorite parts in my show. And again, I don't know if Greta even knows that or if she got inspiration from that. I have no idea who cares, but it's, it's awesome that she did what she did. Tell me about how you guys creatively approached this. Where were you? Were you at home when you started writing this and how does it work? Do you lay down some chords, Phineas, and then, and then Billy, you go off and you write some lyrics or, is it a jam session? This was a jam session. It's it's uh it's different every time, but this one was Billy sitting on the on the couch right behind me, and then out of out of frame to my um 
to my left is the piano where I would sit at. And so I just sat at the piano and I started playing, you know, I got really lucky. I kind of like, you know, won the lottery and started playing like those chords at that tempo in that order. And Billy started singing that melody. We just really, it was a, but it would, but, but to your, you know, you use the right word. That's a jam, you know, right. She's jamming on melody and I'm jamming on uh, piano. And we started working on lyrics. We started working on structure and, um, yeah, we, we got really lucky. Um, and I think that again, it's like, we've been writing songs for ever now, what feels like forever. And you get lucky every couple of years. And, uh, and we knew then that we'd gotten lucky and we didn't know then that we'd written something that would be popular. We didn't even know if Greta would like it. You know, we had no sort of knowledge of how the song would be received, but just from a kind of a writing perspective, we felt like, oh, we're, we're getting so lucky right now that it's just coming to us. Yeah. So Phineas, tell me about finding the chord progression and what you decided to land on. You know, I don't have, um, I try, I try to just, um, the, you know, you're familiar with Jackson Pollock and he had this thing that he would talk about where he would talk about uh, making what he called automatic art, which was mm-hmm. that if he, you know, he made this kind of splatter paint thing that is so amazing. Um, but he talked about if, if he thought about where he was moving his arm, he wouldn't make the art he wanted to make. It was letting his arms move and, splatter the paint where he wanted it to splatter and I think like it's really important in music to do that to not overthink it you know if I'm sitting at the piano it does also Phineas Phineas is not an overthinker when it comes to playing instruments which I think is so so important he just sits down and plays whatever he plays and it's awesome but I think that you know both of us were doing that I was playing the chords that my hands were moving to and Billy was singing the melody that she was making up on the spot I think if we had sort of b- tried to do math um it wouldn't have come out the same way and uh and like you know sometimes you make a song and it's all math you sit and you come up you play one note and it feels wrong and you change a little thing and you change another little thing and you change a little thing and it's like it, it becomes this like you know doing calculus or something but in this case it really was just like all feeling it's just like these chords feel melancholic they feel hopeful they feel delicate billy's vocals yeah it was really it was automatic art the melodies were the same the melodies were very um because because it's also in in songwriting um especially when you're not feeling for me when i feel like i'm not coming up with anything that i find interesting i realize that i've just been singing like the same melodies over and over and so what i try to do is just sing something that I don't want to sing naturally, like something that just like, I I literally like say to myself and my, it's like a big thing that I actually do when writing, which is I'll just say to myself, like sing a really random melody that you would never think to sing right now. Um, and it's usually like, I try to go higher because, you know, com- the, the, the way to do it the most comfortably and the most like in your comfort zone is like da, 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 like staying kind of lower in this like middle range da, 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 and then instead of doing that cuz i was started i always start there i'm always like no 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 let's 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 go somewhere weirder not weirder but let's just go somewhere that isn't what i naturally want to do and so i just force myself to sing some weird melody um in really high or really low and that always gets me somewhere that I uh, like. 
And that happened with this one. I basically told myself, like, let's let's sing something really high and play with melodies. Let's just make it very melodic. And immediately he was like, da 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 And then, you know, so on. And that's not like a weird melody at all. It just wasn't the thing that my, you know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da 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 You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier and I don't fucking know, whatever. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> You're great. So at the Grammys, you know, a lot of artists, they get up on stage. There's always like spectacle. There's always like a very big push to draw attention. And fire, got, smoke. Yeah, exactly. Here you guys, you get on stage and you just, it's like all nuance. It's all sincere. It's all intimate. Can you talk about that performance? I mean, yes, it's a piano-driven song, but you had some strings. You're a little bit softer. Can you talk about that? Because it turned the house into church. Oh, thank you. you. And and by the way, we're not above a big... The last time we were at the Grammys, we flooded... Billy was in a house, and we flooded the house, and then she climbed up onto the roof of the house, and there was a storm, and we rocked out on the roof. Like, I, I love a big, you know, sort of spectacle moment. I think it, it. we just try to cater to the song. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so, you know, soft and, like, so simple? And I, I, I literally, every time I'm like, what else was it going to, like, there's no, that's what the song wanted, you know? It's kind of like in talking about recording it and how, you know, how I chose to sing it. Like, you know, yeah, I could have sung it in different ways, but it wouldn't have worked. It, it needed to be sung in that way it needed to have the production that it has it couldn't be like some giant you know belting crazy production thing and and same with the the live show you know there it wouldn't have made sense for it to have a bunch of like flames and like dancers and stuff there's no need it didn't need all that and 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 that shit is awesome like I love when people do all that and I've done it and I will do it but like that song that song is supposed to be tender, you know, and like simple and not being, you know, it doesn't need to do more. Like it's not, I don't want it to be in anybody's face. You know, I want it to be on its own in its own place and not feel like you're being shouted at, you know, I wanted it. And, and ugh, that's not, I'm not like saying other people are doing that. I'm just saying that that song specifically is like, I don't know, it's supposed to be simple. I don't know. You know? Now, is this the first time both of you have worked with Mark Ronson? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Tell me about that. What was that like and what his his fingerprints were? He was really sweet to work with, man. He he was already scoring the movie and doing the soundtrack. And so um, I kind of told him that I was happy to, you know, I was like, let's, 
you know, come. He was he he didn't make any assumptions. There was no kind of assumption that he was going to help produce it. And I was like, come do some additional production. And what we did was we we finished it. We we got the song to a place where we were like, okay, this this could come out. And um, and then I sent it to him, and I was like, we're we're feeling good about it. Anything you'd add. And he lived with it for a couple of days, him and Andrew Wyatt. And I got this text that was like, <laughs> I, I I could go back and find it. But I my memory, because he's a, you know, very sort of like deferential dude was like, here's our attempt at adding some stuff. And it was beautiful. He added. Um, uh, he like added a, some harp that was like, oh, my yeah, God. yeah. I think they worked with Matt Dunkley the orchestrator on the harp and the orchestration and Matt Dunkley, who helped us with the James Bond theme too. Um, and the, yeah, the harpist was beautiful and there's just this kind of delicate harmonic string landscape. Um, and I think, uh, an old vintage synth called a CS 80. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just, you know, we just popped them right in and they coexisted beautifully, but what a treat to, you know, I mean, Amy Winehouse, um, I mean, Mark's Bruno you know, Mars Mark's, legend. Mark's discography is like crazy. He's he's got he's got a crazy list of shit that he's made, and you know he should be he should be really proud. I think also, I don't know. It was such a great it was such a great process. Thinking back, like you know, it was really it was Greta and Mark both that we first talked to about. At least for me, that I first talked to me, about. Me too. Yeah. Um. It was you know it was a phone call with the two of them and. Um, it was so open. The communication was so open. It was very like, not, no pressure, no, um, it wasn't scary. It felt very friendly and like we've known each other forever. It was really cool. Mark, Mark's great. Your dad has a whole connection to Barbie. There's a whole story <laughs> here. Yeah. Well, he, our dad worked as a, um, carpenter. Set, uh, yeah. Carpenter in the, sh in Mattel, the, in the shop. Yeah. They, so Mattel does these, um, to we clarify, saw him, like, we saw him like one hour a day for like years. <laughs> if that, if that one hour is a lot. Um, yeah. So yeah, he, uh, there would be these seasons where they would have like crazy overtime and it's all just like, again, like carpentry and he'd work these like 12 hour days every day, seven days a week because Mattel puts on these things called like the Mattel toy fair and they go to different cons. There's like Barbie con, I think. And and when Mattel shows up, they roll deep and they build real life Barbie castles and real life Barbie boxes and huge platforms and, you know, Hot Wheels displays and stuff. And so that was our dad's, you know, that was how he was um, providing for the family for, I don't know, six, seven years, like a lot, lot of, a lot lot, yeah, a lot of childhood. Um, and uh, and yeah, it was Mattel and, and he'd, uh, you know he'd bring home like probably wasn't supposed to, but like these giant, big, huge spray painted pink letters that were thrown in the trash as soon as the exhibit was done. And he'd like take them and put, you know, put them in the car and bring them home because they're going to get thrown away and incinerated. Right. And he had, you know, um, kids who were interested in uh, the toys. And so he it was would like, bring, cool. me, bring me Barbies. He would find in the garbage cans for my birthday. Yeah. But the real genesis of being involved in this movie at all is Inan, the CEO of Mattel, having a meeting with our um, one of our sort of team members, Paul Wachter. And so when I first was put in touch with Inan, which was pretty early on, I said to him, like, you know, our dad worked for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, 
he maybe like I don't know what year Anon came on, and also you know he he worked about a hundred rungs on the ladder down from the CEO of Mattel. Mom taught improv at the Groundlings. Did I? Did did both of you have comedy improv classes? We did, sure did. did. Enjoy, and did you enjoy it? Yeah, we, our mom taught improv um, at like a couple different places where we were where we took classes. Um, uh, yeah, I loved my mom's classes. She's so good. She also, you know, she taught us how to write songs. She she had a songwriting class at this um, thing we used to go to every week. And in, you know, she it was like a bunch of kids and us. And in those songwriting classes, we learned to write songs, like basically all the all the basic rules and principles. I was listening to some of her songs that she's been, she, that she wrote years ago today and I was crying. <laughs> um, They're very sweet. But um. Yeah, she she's she's really our mom is a multifaceted person. She's she's so talented and she's so um she has so many interests and she's she's good at so many things. She really is 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 so so talented and generous and you know, thank God because it's why we know so much of what we know. So there's this concert film rage going on right now with the Taylor Swift concert and the Beyonce concert. Are you guys, I know you you put out a concert film through a more art specialty distributor, but do you think you guys will make one ultimately? Do you, you know. Boy, you'll... I fucking did already. What the hell? Exactly. I did. I did. And I, I, please. I, okay. um. All I'm hearing from you is if you're asking if we're going to be more famous in the future. Um, we did absolutely make exactly, we absolutely did the same thing. We're just not, we're just not Beyonce or Taylor Swift. But to me, you're mass ticket. I think you're. Bro, all right, all right. Go, go, go buy every ticket to every showing at the Americana at Brand and put us in the Americana at Brand. It's a ticket. It's a, it's a. It's a buyer's marketplace, Anthony. Okay. So what's next? Is it, are you working on a new album? Are you going on tour? Are you, or is there more, more songs for movies? No more songs for movies. <laughs> more of those. But um, uh, no, I mean, obviously this is, I love this. I love making music for film. It's the best thing ever. Um, I feel I feel so lucky to do it every single time and Barbie has been like the coolest process in the world. So I'm not saying anything bad about that about that. But we are um we are we're going into album land. We're in we've been in album land just privately. Um and uh yeah, that's that's next for sure. But people gotta be patient with that one because let me be. Um but it'll it'll happen. Excellent. Sorry, <laughs> Billy Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, Oscar winners and Oscar nominees again for what was I made for from Barbie. Thank you both so much. Anthony, thank you for your time. Really nice to talk to you. No, thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.